Good afternoon. Welcome to week number 12 of our summer series on the gospel according to Jesus. Uh, Today, as I mentioned to you last week, today we're going to talk about uh, the call to repentance. Repentance being the most often talked about uh, subject, if you will, in in Jesus' ministry. It uh, was the first, the last, and the always theme of his ministry uh, sermons. Uh, Before we do that, let me go ahead and and open with prayer, and then we'll get right into today's lesson. Heavenly Father, Cal and I, we we stand here in this empty room, and uh, we seem like we're alone, but we know that we are not. And we thank you for the presence of your Spirit here with us and for the family of believers that exist beyond this building. Uh, We thank you, Father, for the love that unites us to you and to them through your beloved Son. We thank you, Father, for the peace that's given to us this day, for the hope that lies in tomorrow. Uh, Father, for uh, that hope that we expect for tomorrow. And so, Father, we also thank you for our health. We thank you for work and for food and the many blessings that you provide us uh, that make our life... uh, both delightful and for our friends in all parts of the world. Uh, Father, we pray that today that you would give us courage and joy and a quiet mind uh, that is impervious to the concerns of this day and and the days to come. We ask that you would make us a joy to our friends and not unpleasant to our enemies. We ask that you would bless us in all that we do, both great and small, that's done in accordance to your will. We ask you to give us strength to endure that which is to come and that may, we might be made steadfast in tribulation, we might be made temperate in our frustrations and anger and in all changes of our personal circumstance. And most of all, Father, we ask that you would give us the grace to be loving to one another just as you are to us. And all these things we ask in the blessed name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, in the last uh, 11 weeks, we have talked about Uh, how Jesus used both interpersonal relationships with individuals and also uh, parables in order to illuminate the gospel according to Jesus. Uh, Today we're going to take a little bit different kind of a turn or an approach where we're going to look at some of the themes of his sermons, if you will, and talk about the, the doctrinal content that lies within them. And of course, as I said before, today we're going to talk about repentance, which was the first word of the first sermon and remained almost uh, constant in the sermons that he preached throughout his three years of ministry. We are going to start, surprise, at the beginning. We're going to start with the first sermon and the first word that Jesus spoke. And if you'll look in Matthew 4, 17, you'll see there, this is immediately following, if you will, the, the time that he spent uh, with Satan, with the devil, uh, and the temptation that he experienced in the wilderness. And then he, he leaves that uh, uh, period of time, and he then begins to start his ministry. Verse 17 of the fourth chapter says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Over in Luke, we'll see there in in Luke, the uh, fifth chapter, verses 31 and 32, 
Again, Jesus says, Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In these two verses, Jesus is accepting uh, the self-righteous indignation of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, their evaluation of him about uh, uh, spending time with sinners. But then he makes the statement, the self-righteous are not his interest. It's those people who are sinners that he came to save. And if you'll flip over to Luke, the fifth chapter, I'm sorry, the thirteenth chapter, thirteenth chapter, starting with the third verse, he says, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And you skip down to the fifth verse, and he says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. These verses in Matthew, Luke, and uh, are, are certainly uh, reminiscent of what Jesus repeatedly, uh, constantly, consistently said about repentance as being sort of the foundation for salvation. Uh, the one thing that's missing here in, in our uh, our world today, especially in the evangelical world, I would say, is something that uh, has to do with the idea of repentance. Unfortunately, we've moved away from that idea. And I wanted to read to you something that was written by H.R. Uh, Ironside, uh, who recognized this. Ironside was a was a writer in, in the early part of uh, the last century, of 1930s. But he was the first one to really, I, I, I believe, if not the first, he certainly was among the first, who began to bemoan the fact that, that the evangelicals in the world uh, or in the body of Christ were beginning to lose the idea or get away from the idea or shun the idea of speaking about repentance as repentance is being a, f- a foundation to salvation. It was all about something else. But, but uh, uh, Ironside wrote, that shallow preaching that does not grapple with the terrible fact of man's sinfulness and guilt, calling on all men everywhere to repent, results in a shallow conversion. And so we have a myriad of glib-tongued professors who give no evidence of regeneration whatever. Their prating of salvation by grace, they manifest no grace in their own lives, and they loudly declare that they are justified by faith alone. And they failed to remember that faith without works is dead and that justification by works before men is not to be ignored as though it were not in contradiction to justification by faith before God. Now Ironside was not, certainly was not uh, the only one that was saying these things, but certainly was preeminent about them in that he had, he had published uh, uh, a book. And the name of that book was Lest Ye Repent. And of course uh, it was a, a relatively widely read book. Uh, and it drew a lot of, I guess, opposition. Uh, the, the many things that were published during that period of time in the early 1900s uh, began to get on the bandwagon, if you will, of uh, the idea of gr- faith by grace alone, uh, and that uh, uh, repentance was not necessarily a part of the foundation for salvation. 
In the Ryrie Study Bible, which was published in 1970, actually published in 1950, the first edition, and in the 1976, the Ryrie Study Bible, uh, alleged that, it, that this, this whole idea of repentance was a false addition to faith. Later on, in that, uh, in that particular time period, uh, Thomas Constable, Thomas L. Constable, wrote a book called The Gospel Message, uh, this was about in the 19, uh, 1950s, 1960s time frame. And his, one, of, one of the quotable quotes from his book says that repentance means to change one's mind. It does not mean to change one's life. Unfortunately, that particular attitude found its way into the evangelical circles and began to take a real foothold. Well, what does repentance really mean? Uh, repentance is a, a, a the, the Greek word for re- repentance is metatonia. Meta, the prefix meaning to uh, something that comes after, and noia is something means to understand in the Greek. So if you look at that and you look at it in, in terms of what does that really mean, it means that that uh, uh, repentance is sort of an afterthought. We look at something. And we think about that something, and in this case, we're talking about our sin. Uh, We look at our sin and we think about what that means in relationship to God, and we have an afterthought that perhaps we need to repent or not do that anymore, turn away from that. Uh, And as it's used in the New Testament, it it most frequently means that we turn from God, we turn turn to God, turn from evil, and our intent is to serve. Gerhardt Gerhard, Gerhardus, I misspelled his, his name. There's actually two E's in his name. Gerhardus Vos, who was a Dutch-American, a very well-known. Uh, he was a Princeton theologian. He was considered to be the, the actual the father of biblical reform theology. Uh, the, the author of many books, but one of the books that he wrote was The Kingdom of God and the Church. And Gerhardt said that though when we go through this process of repentance, we actually uh, tap into both to our intellectual side, the intellectual component of looking at what we have done and deciding that what we have done uh, is not good. It's perhaps it's evil, and then we decide that through the, from the our emotional uh, component, we decide that we're going to turn away from that evil and turn towards that which is good. And then the third part of that is our volition, as Gerhardt said in his book, is our, our desire to, to begin and to be more intentionality, intentional, if you will, about serving God uh, in accordance with His will and what He has revealed to us. Now, the Bible speaks in both the Old and the New Testament about the fruits of repentance. What, what does, should repentance show itself or how should it be manifest in our lives? If you look over into Isaiah, Isaiah the first chapter, verses 16 and 17, here there are nine activities which are related to repentance. These activities uh, sort of show a progression as we read these. You'll show it shows where we begin to do the repentance both internally and it progresses to an external manifestation. Verse 16 in the first chapter says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, 
Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. And plead for the widow. So those are, those are to be the fruits, if you will, of repentance in our lives. Now those that, and, and over if you look into the New Testament... Uh, Matthew 3rd chapter. Let's go to the Matthew, the 3rd chapter. Here we're looking at, at the ministry if you, of John the Baptist and what John the Baptist was doing and how uh, he was using the, the doctrine, if you will, of repentance and how it was, how it was displayed or manifested and how that compares to uh, what was going on in the Old Testament in, in the prophet Isaiah. In the third chapter, in the first verse, he says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he was saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. And he talks about uh, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So those are the first three verses in Matthew the third chapter, down in the seventh verse, he says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And so what, when, when you first look at that, uh, you'll say, wow, you know, John the Baptist was being extremely harsh to those people who were following him. What did he see or what did he recognize in them that, that uh, made him speak so harshly to the multitudes that were following him? Well, specifically, he was addressing himself again to the Pharisees that were a part of the congregation there. And what he was saying to them was is that that there was, uh, there was absolutely no reason to believe that they really had repented because they were just as self-righteous, which was their sin. They were just as self-righteous after they had professed uh, and pretended to believe in John's ministry as they were before. And so he was saying, you know, uh, you're, you're just a brood of vipers that, that, uh, uh, that you feel like that you have to come and you have to do these things, go through these perfunctory exercises in order to be uh, considered a part of the body, if you will. The Apostle Paul in Acts 26, 19 and 20. Again, the Apostle Paul, was, he wasn't quite as harsh as John the Baptist, but the Apostle Paul says in, in verse 19, he says, talking to King Agrippa, who was questioning him about what he had done as after he had had his Damascus Road experience. And he's trying to explain to, to King Agrippa uh, what, he was, what he was now involved in. He says, therefore, King, this is the 19th verse. He said, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea, and, to the, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and to do works befitting of repentance. Again, echoing what Jesus had said about repentance 
and 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 beginning to uh, to be what he had been he had, they had been called to be, and that is to be like him. Well, in Acts two thirty eight, this particular verse gives us, if you will, or states fairly fairly clearly. That repentance is the foundation of the call to salvation. Here we have in Acts, the, um, the second chapter, the 38th verse, we have the Apostle Peter, who is, again, he's preaching also. Then Peter said to them, those who had gathered around him, he said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So both in the Old and the New Testament, there is, a, there is a history, if you will, of repentance being the foundation of the New Testament call to salvation. Now, Matthew 21, 28 through 31, talks about how, how this profession, and of course that's, that's the, it's sort of an echo of, of what many in the evangelical church is believing today, is that, profession, that the profession of faith, uh, the acknowledgement that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for salvation. But here in, in, in Acts, or Matthew 21, if I find that, brought my glasses today because I had a hard time reading last week, but I hadn't put them on, so I didn't do much good to bring them. It's kind of like my, my hearing aid. I can't hear, but I don't wear my hearing aids. All right, Matthew 21, verses 28 through 31. This is a, a short little parable that Jesus uh, told uh, in order to illuminate this idea about uh, profession as in compared to uh, the works, if you will, doing what you professed that you were going to do. This parable is, is only four verses long. I'll start with verse 27. So they answered Jesus and they said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Of course, these were the, uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees which were questioning him about, uh, where do you get off doing these things that you do? Where do you get off uh, exercising authority that no one seems to have given you uh, the right to exercise? And so he asked them some questions, and then he told them that uh, if they couldn't answer his questions, he wasn't going to answer their questions. But then he tells this little parable. He says, but what do you think? He's questioning now the, the Pharisees. But what do you think? A man has two sons, and he came to the first, and he said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. The son says, he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it, and he went. Then he came to his second son, and likewise he answered, he said, Go and work in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Of course, this is, this is the question that he's posing to the Pharisees. And they said to him, The first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. 
And I'm sure that that probably took their breath away uh, when he said that. They had given the right answer, but their right answer was, I, was, was a glaring hypocrisy in terms of their own lives. They recognized what, what uh, uh, Jesus was saying and that they, indeed it was the second son who had denied that he was going to go in the vineyard and work. I mean, the, uh, that uh, the first son who said he, was, he would not go in the vineyard, but then he reconsidered as an afterthought. He decided that was not the right thing to do, so he went in the vineyard and worked. But he comes to the second son who says, Oh yeah, Dad, I'll go. But he didn't go. And so Jesus was making the comparison there between the two sons and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's saying that, that God has come to you and He's asked you to work in the vineyard. That's, that was what they were to do. That's what they had, uh, if you would, had sworn to do. But they didn't do it. Uh, they were self-righteous in all that they did. As a matter of fact, and it's just the, uh, th- their hypocrisy. Now, we all fall short. Uh, none of us does exactly what God has called us to do. Uh, so we all fall short, as Romans 3.23 says, is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were, were no different than that in that they had fallen short. But the, the difference was, <coughs> excuse me, the difference was is that they denied that they needed to be to do those things. They thought because they kept the law and they were very assiduous about keeping the law is that they were beyond reproach, but they were very self-righteous in what they did. And so when they answered the, the question that Jesus posed in the, in the telling of this parable, they condemned themselves. And they became what uh, uh, somebody out in West Texas or East Texas might say. Is, is I think I heard Tyson say at one time, there's all hat and no cattle. These are people who thought they had it all, who, who were the epitome of righteousness, but they had no righteousness. It was a false righteousness. It was a self-righteousness. And then finally today, the whole idea of profession uh, in today's world, as, as we've talked about numerous times over the last 12 weeks now, uh, is that there, there is a group of folks and they're very active, and, and you can find them on YouTube and, and other places and books that are being written. It's not something that's gone away. There are people that are called the No Lordship uh, Doctrine, or their adherents to, or believers in the No Lordship Doctrine, who believe that a simple profession of faith is all that you need in order to ensure salvation. If you turn to 1 Peter four eighteen. this may not be the only verse. It may not be the proof text. But it certainly is a text that would, should give us pause to think about the idea of uh, a profession as being all that's required for salvation. Uh, of course, if we want to, to get more specific, we could go to James and, and, and read what James had said about uh, show me your faith and I'll, I'll show you my works, about faith, about works being the, the manifestation of faith. But here in the 17th chapter of 1 Peter, I mean the, the 17th verse of the 4th chapter of 1 Peter. He says here, For the time has come to judge, for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely serve, saved, where will be the ungodly and the sinner appear? Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? 
And of course, what, what Peter is, is saying here is, is that, that for all of us, the, the, the Christian walk, that sanctimonious or sanct, uh, sanctification journey that we take, not sanctimonious, hopefully not sanctimonious, but the sanctification walk that we make through life has, a, has many perils to it. And there are many uh, exits that, that leave that, for that journey that we can take. And it, and he goes on to say that that uh, judgment will begin with the house of God. And if it's that way for us who 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 are who abide in the Word and who who are are uh, uh, consistent in our worship lives and in our attempt to be uh, true to our calling in Christ Jesus, if it's difficult for us, what about those that don't do the things perhaps that uh, that that we attempt to do in our own walk of sanctification if the righteous one is scarcely saved where will be the ungodly or where will the ungodly and the sinner appear it certainly is a it's a sobering thought it's a thought that all of us ought to keep in the, in the uh, the forefront of our minds as we get up every day and as we go about trying to be uh, true to our calling in Christ Jesus as that we consider that I know that it's it's very easy for us sometimes as we get involved in things uh, of the church and with the body of Christ and and with others that we uh, that we care for in the body. As it sometimes we think, oh well, you know, I'm I'm golden here. I'm doing what God has called me to do, and that I'm sure He's pleased with me. Uh, sometimes we uh, I think we 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 give ourselves far too much credit in that regard, uh, and that we need to to carefully. Uh, be introspective about what it is that we are doing in the cause of Christ so that we might, when that day comes, that we too might be called, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let me close with prayer. Gracious Father, we do thank you. Again, we thank you for the truth of your word. We stand on your truth, Father. We know that you tell us all that we need to know for us to be obedient, uh, for us to ensure our salvation and that it is secure. And so that uh, we do, uh, Father, we know and we trust, uh, we have faith in all that we, we uh, have, that has been revealed to us in your word. And so we thank you for that and we glorify you in your goodness and in your mercy and your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.